The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Pressure throws it to Eckler on the screen. He's got a block to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. High pass. Did Williams make that catch? My goodness. Three for a first down. Herbert with time. Now running out of time. Throws on the run. Down the sideline. Caught in the end zone. <laughs> Keenan Allen for the touchdowns. Throws, and again, it's intercepted. And that's Asante Samuel. Here's another one. Oh, watch out. How did it feel when Derwin James absolutely powerbombed the f*** out of you on national television? You're listening to the Shock Therapy Podcast with Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. And we're back. Zach, how are we doing today, man? Good, yeah. How are Padres looking right now? Uh, spring training, too early. I haven't... The first game wasn't televised. I don't think tonight today is going to be televised either. Um, no, I don't think so. Way too early to tell. Manny's looking good. Um, the number one prospect, Jackson Merrill, went three for three at the plate in his first, um, his, his most elevated plate appearances of of his career. So that that's fun to see. Um, you know, he's not going to hit a a thousand all uh, all uh, spring training, but spring training games are happening. Um, I'm gonna be kind of tuning in closer once we get more closer to to April, but. Um, I'm just happy baseball is back. I'm just excited, dude. Like, it's it's just, it's, it's a good I time. keep reading all these articles. The Padres, this is the most exciting team I've ever seen assembled under a single team. Like, it's it's insane. Um, And it's just, like, really on my mind every week. I don't know why. I'm not even that big of a baseball fan. I never played or anything like that. But it's just something about having a good team in town where you're from, where you live. And just having some excitement around it, I'm probably going to go to a lot of games this year. I would, I would, if I was you, it's it's going to be absolutely electric. Petco, the the fans that show up there, um, it, it's an unreal experience. I, I I grew up in that park. Um, I went, I got to go to a playoff game last year. That's where I got where that's where I got the yeah, hat. I saw that. Um, so I I'm I'm ecstatic. I read an article last night that they are one of the front runners to go out and attack um, Shohei Otani at the trade deadline. If the Angels continue to do what they're doing and just not comp- compete, um, they're talking about uh, possibly dealing him to a, to a contender. Um, and right now it's the Padres and the Dodgers are, are the front runners. So that's absolutely amazing where he would fit in an already super stacked lineup. Uh, I don't really have an answer for that. but Well, what are you going to give up for him, right? And that's the <laughs> I- other question. Who knows? Um, you got to give up a pitcher because the, the Angels are going to want a pitcher out of that trade. So sure, I, I think. Well, I I think it's going to be, yeah, either a bunch of prospects, but, you know, or like could a it be Manny. It won't be Manny. Manny's already opting out. So let's think about this real quick. And I know we're a football podcast, but <laughs> I mean, Manny is already asking for more money, right? Which is fine. He he he's earned it. He was an MVP front runner last year he is one again this year and he's the only player that they don't have for sure under contract for the foreseeable future if you want to go and get a guy like Shoyatani, who's going to cost at a a similar amount um and you're going to have to trade some sort of piece for him i mean i feel like 
I feel like Otani provides more just in terms of everything that he does as a pitcher, as a uh, as a bat, you know, as a just a unreal, unbelievable human in terms of just baseball. I yeah. feel like that's a piece that you're probably willing to part with. And the Angels are going to want something pretty significant out of that deal. So I don't yeah. know. That's one. I mean, that the the Padres infield is, is stacked. I don't think I don't think where the the Angels are as an organization, as, as how they've treated and handled the Otani situation. I don't think they're going to be really in the driver's seat. Um, Otani's going to leave at the end of of the year. He's not going to be an Angel next season. I, I, I will put money on that. Um, and so, and I think they know it. So they're going to want to get something. And I think the next crowd, the next other crowded spot of the roster for the Padres is the bullpen. We got 12 guys competing for seven spots. Um, so I, I could see one of those guys who just like a, a plethora of late reliever guys that can't make our roster, but are still viable options. Um, everyone needs bullpen help, especially now with pitch counts um, and just start safety of the starter uh, pitching position. People are, are really, really cautious on, on letting guys pitch more than 75 pitches now uh, in, in some cases. So bullpens are, are becoming more and more important. So I think that's a, another option. I just don't see them at this point disbanding what has got him this excitement. And, and Manny's a big part of that. He, he is the heart and soul of this team. I, I think it's more behind the scenes, just finite or, or just actual um, – it, it's just like the talk between it, negotiations. It's a, they're going to get a, a job. topic right now. Yeah, and they're going to be talking done. about it for a while. So until it happens, right? Um, I I think they'll get it done. I, I just don't see they built this 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 ship around with Manny as the captain, and I just don't see you know you you mutinying now, um, especially with the way he's playing. He's looking like he's he's going to be a phenomenal player through his like forties right now if he can keep this up and stay healthy. Um, and he he's a tremendous player. I don't I would. I would cry actual tears. Um, <laughs> I would too. I mean, I've, it's the only Jersey that I own is a Machado Jersey Jersey. So, and he's just, he was so fun with the Dodgers. He's been fun with the he's Padres and I don't think he wants to go anywhere. It's a little surprised that he opted out because it's not like he's going to be making that much more money than what he is now. And they offered him a pretty significant pay increase and he still turned it down. So I don't know, man. It's just interesting. I, I just feel like, being already having the contract in place and a team that really could, it's going to be a contender for multiple years, like the same core, yeah. the same base. It's a little surprising. That's all I'm saying. I think they'll get it done. Um, I think they'll get it done. I, I think I, and it could be Manny trying to do the pods a favor because if he, if he did accept this, and then when we did this negotiation this time next year, he's going to be in line for more money. So um, who knows what, what's happening from all I've seen and heard. Manny wants to be there. The Padres want him there. Um, and until I hear different, um, that's kind of what I'm banking on. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to football. Football. Uh, and there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. A lot of different things happening in the front office kind of area. I'll just kind of start with something outside the Chargers front office. So Shane Sykin is expected to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, he's only 37 years old. He started his coaching career as a graduate assistant for UNLV 2007. 
Uh, came to the Chargers organization under North Turner in 2011 as a defensive assistant, left for a year, went to the Browns when they were at the like the peak of their dumpster fire. Ended up coming back the next year to the Chargers, was a quarterback's coach, worked his way all the way up to offensive coordinator, really through the entirety of Tom Telesco's um, career with, with the Chargers as um, general manager. Uh, when he became the offensive coordinator, Chargers fans were just not happy with uh, his first stint at being a play caller. He was replaced along with Anthony Lynn uh, and became the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he structured an offense around the strengths of Jalen Hurts, had an offense that was probably one of the best in the NFC last year, ultimately landed him the head coach role with Indy. Um, and it just seems like Indy likes people from the Chargers previous trees. You look at Frank Reich, Tom Telesco came over. Um, it, there's been a lot of sharing of knowledge between the two organizations, um, but super stoked for Shane Steichen uh, just because, you know, I didn't think he was that bad of a offensive coordinator. I just thought that he was early. He was young, needed to develop a little bit more. I think he might be accepting this head coach position a little too early in his tenure. Um, I mean, he's only been an offensive coordinator for three years, which I guess works. I would just like uh, I would like to see him go to an organization that maybe has a little more pieces on the offensive side of the ball, um, have a, a quarterback, which is kind of important. But we'll end up seeing where that ends up going. I uh, just want to get your thoughts on Shane Steichen. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I liked I like Shane Steichen. I think he he did well with what he had um i just think with I no think, offensive line either no uh you got to work with what what you got and i thought you know he 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 did better than than most would with um you know with his supporting cast and um i i just feel i think a little bad for for him just because of the landing spot indy seems to be an absolute disarray um who knows what's going to happen with that franchise that they, they have really good players just don't seem to be able to live up to expectations. Um, they've been riddled with injuries to the, to those star players. Um, and so I, I think he's I, not, I don't know if he, I think he's ready for, for an OC position with, or I, I think he's ready for that type of position with the right fit. And I just don't think Indy's the right fit. Um, I, 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 right now to me, that looks just like a place where, where careers go to die um or to get demoted so i i don't i don't see him having a successful tenure with the colts just because of, of where that organization is right now um you know they're in a lot of transition right now and i actually really all like i really like the ownership the front office i feel like the organization overall has been fairly strong i just yeah. don't think that they are where they need to be i think they need more of like a a seasoned veteran head yeah. coach who knows how to you know get something together and i just feel like this organization it lacks a quarterback which is the scariest thing in the world um they are going to overhaul the entire coaching staff and it's not like shane steichen has a wealth of you know coaching experience around him i haven't even seen who he's going to be bringing in yet uh, it just seems like not the right fit for a first-time head coach for where that organization is now. I still think they got a couple pieces. They got a really good running back. They have no real number one wide receivers. 
Uh, offensive line is starting Michael to Bateman, age a little bit. Michael I think, is, is getting there. Um, he's getting think, there, but he's I think no... he's phenomenal. Well, I mean, who's throwing him the ball? You, you're going to yeah. you know, knock him on, that's on an issue. Matty Ice at 45 years old or whatever he is. Um, I mean, that's not his fault. <laughs> no, that's not. Um, well, and all I was going to say, I, I, I kept saying the organization, but um, it, it is, it's weird to see the Colts where they are because they have been such a, a phenomenal organization my entire life. Um, they've always been competitive. And I think it is weird to see them because they are just a quarterback and a legit coaching staff away from being one of the best teams in the AFC South. And so um, I just, yeah, I, I agree with you that I don't think Steichen and whoever he brings in will be the right ensemble. Um, I think you need some leadership because you got a bunch like of like a Bruce talent. Arians would be like a great coach to yeah. go to that organization right now. I could see that. Yeah, somebody who's been there before, um, who who can show guys how to win because that's what they need. That's what they need. This young talent, th- these guys in house are are talented enough. Um, they just need to be shown the right way to go about things. And I just don't know that Steichen even knows at this point. So we'll, we'll see. No. It, it's exciting for him. Um, I, I just kind of worry based on on just where where that roster is right now uh in other news uh jeff howard was hired as the chargers linebackers coach got to start with the vikings as a defensive assistant from 2013 to 2019 and then he went to work under the browns under kevin stefanski uh he was their defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator with the browns got about 10 years of experience uh, don't really know much more about him. I do know Doug Nussmeyer, who the Chargers hired as quarterbacks coach, uh, was with Kellen Moore in Dallas, uh, worked primarily with Dak Prescott under center, but also notable uh, is the, the 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 backup quarterbacks having some sort of success even when Dak Prescott was out. Um, Ronaldo Hill left for a role under Vic Fangio as the defensive pass game coordinator. Uh, it's not really a demotion. It's kind of just like a, a change of scenery for him. Granted, he doesn't have the title defensive coordinator, but he's still kind of a senior leadership role. Uh, Derek Ansley, who spent the last two seasons as the Chargers secondary coach, was promoted defensive coordinator, which is awesome. And then uh, Tommy Donatello is going to be coaching um, defensive backs. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on Derek Ansley and and why do you think that he ended up getting that role? They didn't even attempt to to search really elsewhere in an organization. They kind of yeah. just did their their two um, uh, interviews, but they had the idea of who was going to take that position over immediately. Yeah, I, I, well, and I think it's just kind of 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 what that position means to the Chargers. I think it's more of a procedural move, um, not wanting to bring somebody out. Uh, from the outside in to trying to teach him what Staley wants to do. And at the end of the day, it, it's Staley's show. He, he's not stepping away from defensive play calling. He's not stepping away from just installing the defense as a whole as he sees fit. It, it, it's his show. So at this point, it's kind of like the, you know, you know, uh, the OC in, in Kansas City. It, it's not really a position. Um, it, it's really just title. And so congratulations to Derek Ansley. Now he has that on his title. It's a, it's a resume builder. Um, and he's still very, very involved. Um, he's going to be more so involved now that Ronaldo Hill it has left. I thought Ainsley did great with our, our DB room, bringing those uh, young guys along. Um, we saw some tremendous um, 
maturity from, you know, Ja Taylor and, and Dean Leonard and Raheem Lane, um, all guys who contributed um, on special teams first and then getting some reps late in the season at DB. Um, so I, I think it's deserved, but I think it's more procedural than anything because at the end of the day, it's always going to be a number two to Staley while, while he's there in that head coaching position. I don't think he'll ever step away from that because um, that's what's gotten there. Well, the other thing with that is I think people are putting way too much pressure on a defensive coordinator has to call plays. And that's just yeah. not the case because yeah. what a defensive coordinator's primary job is, isn't calling plays. It's setting up, it's scouting the opposing offense, looking at what they like to do, figuring out their tendencies and creating a game plan that is going to, to, to circumvent whatever that offense wants to do. And it's different from defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, because you look at, Offensive coordinators, calling those plays is an art. It's just like a totally different dynamic. Defensively, you're going to call plays based off what the offense comes out on. And you're not, I mean, there isn't 500 plays to pick from. You're going to run the same type of defense, and it shouldn't matter who's calling it. The the reactions and what you see, and if you see this, we're going to go into cover two. If you see this, we're going to go to man. If you see this, you're going on a blitz, right? Like those are all rules. And it doesn't matter calling the, the defense. Those rules aren't going to change. You'll make adjustments during halftime. But the defensive coordinator is helping to just to create those rules. And the only thing that Brandon Staley really wants to do calling those plays is he wants to talk to his defense. He wants to talk to whoever is wearing that dot, right? So I, I'm not putting too much into, oh, it's just like a title. It's not because Derek Ansley is going to be tasked with a greater responsibility of talking and figuring out the tendencies and doing the, the scouting on the opposing team and creating the game plan ultimately. And that's the job of the defensive corner, not the call the plays. You just typically see that. No, and I, I well, and I think if you, it, when you take that into consideration, Ansley was the, the only option. In how it wasn't going to be an out of house guy because then Staley has to download his vision. Um, and then you know, proceed th that process kind of gets muddled. And so, you it was always going to be an a, a guy inside the organization. And when you look at the position groups of last year on that defense, secondary was the most consistent year in and game in and game out. And when we had those most the, the, those big games like the 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 game against Miami who stood out that secondary was all over the place. And so I give a lot of credit to Derek Ansley being in those meetings with Hill having that. Oh yeah, we're going to have the DBs attack. And so it just made the most sense to me in my opinion. So excited to see what he can do this year. Um, we're going to need some, some, some good scouting from him and, and then big plays after the fact. So I'm, I'm excited. We'll, we'll see and it happens. was good because I mean, Brandon Staley wanted to find a way to promote both Tommy Donatel and Derek Ansley, and he couldn't. He, he didn't really have a way to. Maybe he gives uh, uh, Ansley a title, like assistant head coach or something like that. But ultimately, he needed he almost needed um, uh, the defensive coordinator, Ronaldo Hill, to leave so that he could promote those guys because they earned it. You look at Asante Samuel and his progression has been outstanding. He's been so good. Um, even guys like Bryce Callahan played really, really well for them last year. I mean, Derwin James is, 
probably one of the best. Aloe Gilman came out of nowhere and looks like a viable starter for us next year. So in all, it's not like the the secondary was an issue. If anything, I mean, linebacker kind of was, and that's why they went and fired and replaced uh, their linebacker with the guy whose name I just deleted from my notes. But, you know, like it makes sense Derek Ansley is is, uh, going that direction. Uh, There is one more um, front office kind of thing that happened recently. Uh, The Chargers uh, fired uh, head trainer Damon Mitchell. It's notable when you take a look at all the injuries that the Chargers have had really over the the last couple of seasons, the last six years. Uh, He was with the Chargers organization last 24, but head trainer for six. Uh, And you saw major injuries to J.C. Jackson, Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Mike Williams, Rayshon Slater last year. But if you go back the last six years, I mean, it seems like every year we're cycling through offensive linemen. Uh, we're cycling through like every there's always a, a key injury plaguing the Chargers. And I think it was just time to kind of move on, even though some of them feel a little weird, like they weren't soft tissue injuries. It was like uh, Keenan Allen's was, but Jason Jackson destroyed his knee. Right. And then that yeah. bone in his ankle, whatever. And then you look at um, Joey Bosa tearing his groin, right? Like some of it is on the head trainer. Some of it's just kind of bad luck, but it's not a recent issue. It's been something where the charges just haven't really been very healthy, except for the season before last uh, and um, the first year under Brandon Staley. But the whole Anthony Lynn tenure was just so much injuries. Well, and and I like, all of those those moves, I, I just like the, the precedent it sets. It, it doesn't matter how long you've been with this organization, whether it be 24 years, whether it be two years. If, if you're doing your job, you're going to get promoted. You're going to get the looks. And if you're not, it's not cutting it around here anymore. We're not okay with mediocrity. It is time to, to produce and, and to compete at the highest level. And you can't do that with, with dead weight. And I, I kind of think that's what that that train that trainer was um it, it, it's time he, he's been here for 24 years we've been riddled with injuries his entire tenure um i know he was only the head trainer for six and so it's not all of him but it, he was part of the process right he he never at one point said hey we need to change something um that the strength and conditioning program has been pretty set for the last couple of decades um san diego now going to los angeles so i i think it's an, a a good time to make a change um because you got a very, very talented roster who's who's ready to win now. So you got to go all in while you got a guy like Justin Herbert and while you have guys like Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen still on this still on this roster, still able to compete. Um, I, I like the the precedent it sets. Do your job. You're going to stick around. You're going to get promoted even. If you don't, um, it's time to go find a, find a job somewhere else. All right. And uh, any closing remarks on kind of the front office um changes that we've been making. I mean, we're going to have a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. The only, you know, main guy that's really staying in place is Brandon Staley and our special teams coordinator. Uh, everything else seems like there's a massive turnover. Yeah. I just hope it's, it's what Staley wants and not just what Staley could get. Right. Um, it seemed that first um, the Lombardi thing wasn't what he wanted. It was just what he could get. So hopefully Kellen Moore was what he wanted. It, it seemed like that because we didn't really it definitely seem like that. Yeah. Right. It, it was, it was so fast of a process and we didn't really give any other, anybody else serious look. So hopefully that this, this new 
coaching staff is what he wants. Um, I hope he's not settling. And I think we'll, we'll be able to see very, very soon. Um, Cause it yeah, seemed no. immediate. Like as soon it, as Kellen I, Moore was made available, it was like, we want this it, guy. Let's get him in fast. the door now. Well, and I think and it's that's a good not look. let him leave. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, get score me some touchdowns, get the, get this offense moving. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll we we'll keep, we can keep him around. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. All right. Uh, for the next part of this podcast, we're going to be talking about quarterbacks and tight ends here in the NFL draft. Uh, we're not going to be drafting a quarterback high by any means, but I did kind of want to just talk. It's, it's a hot topic, right? There's a good four quarterbacks that could go in the top 10 picks. Uh, yeah probably potentially five going in the first round overall Just crazy there's a lot of quarterbacks like especially last year being such a down year for quarterbacks uh, but there's a lot of teams looking for that position right now it seems like the the top two is Bryce Young and CJ Stroud uh, and then you got some other guys like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson who maybe just kind of outside I know a lot of people really high on Will Levis but you look at Anthony Richardson he's got this cannon of an arm probably the co- closest quarterback you're going to get to a Justin Herbert to a um, in terms of just arm strength and talent and just athleticism. You got like a Josh Allen, big arm athletic guy that can move. Uh, Will Levis seems like he's probably one of the, the more pro ready quarterbacks, uh, even if he didn't have all that much success at Kentucky. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on these four guys real quick. It kind of, you know, who's your, Quarterback one, what do you like about him? And I guess, where do you see kind of some of this shaking out a little bit? Yeah, um, I, I think we should start at the top. I, I think it, it's – for for one, I Who's your think, one? Who's your my, one? Is my, it my Bryce one is, Young or CJ Stroud? My one is Bryce Young. Um, and, and the reason I got Bryce at, at one is because this is such a, a weird process. People like to, you know – you got to you got to assess what you see on college tape and project that at the NFL level. Not everything translates. Um, it's not always the same language. Um, and, and when you take that into account, I think you, you the main thing you have to look at when when assessing prospects is the untangible things, the, the things that you can't teach. Um, and I think that's what what Bryce Young has and does better than any of the other guys on, on that list that you mentioned. And, and for me, Bryce Young is number one because he's crafty. Um, his his work outside of the pocket, his work when things aren't going right, his off script plays are are unreal. Um, on, on the same level of, of Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, we didn't really see that from Pat in, in college, so that kind of gets you excited. Um, I know he's getting knocked because uh, he's he's five ten, um, but you know you see Kyler producing. He's a six foot, I think. He's six foot. Is he six foot? Yeah. Okay. Taller than I was, it, than I was expecting. Um. So I, I think six foot is fine. I think they they said Drew Brees was six foot at it at, at his the end of his career. I think he was more like five eleven, five ten and a half. Um. But still, six foot's not too short. And what he does well is really extends plays, and it, it makes it leads to those big explosive plays downfield. And so I, I like Bryce Young for that fact. Um. C.J. Stroud. He has the arm talent. He's a, a, a pocket passer. Um, I think he's going to be a great quarterback. He just doesn't. That's kind of where he struggles is 
when things break down, when he has to get out of the pocket, when he has to create, when the, the pocket is collapsing. Um, and when you're going to get drafted where those guys are going to get drafted, you're not going to get great O-line play. You're, you're just, no. um, it's just, it, 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 you're not going to a contender being a number two quarterback, um, in, in a draft, especially right now when you have 10, there's 10 teams who have a legit need for that position. So, um, he's going to go to a place with a battle line with probably a, not a great offensive scheme going on. They're going to need to create. And I just like, and that because of that fact, I, I like Bryce young, um, just because he does that phenomenally that's his biggest trait his best I feel trait. like Bryce Young is just so mature too right and he's so comfortable in the pocket he's a leader um, yeah he's a leader and there's a reason like he won the Heisman you know last season he's a he's a competitor and he's just very very mature it's just kind of scary because how many six-foot quarterbacks are actually like turn out to be great they're, they're very few and far between you got Drew Brees Russell Wilson kind of toward the early part of his career toward the later part of his career, not quite as, as great. Um, I mean, there, it's just really few and far between when you just look at it. I'm looking at Seneca Wallace, um, Fran Tarkenton, um, Drew Brees, obviously Michael Vick, but Michael Vick was just like a a different kind of player, right? Like, and then you start getting into some of these other guys that I'm not really interested in at all. Uh, Baker Mayfield. No, um, Chase Daniel never was a great quarterback. Tua is still kind of coming up into his own, but you're seeing Tua being small and getting injured and having all of those issues. Ty Detmer, I mean, the Johnny Menzel, like the list of six-foot quarterbacks who've gone on to be successful, it's a very short, small group. Yeah. No pun intended. No, I I, I get you. Um, I just think it's kind of like – I think it's similar to the 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 Joe Burrow small hand kind of thing. If the guy can play, you you gotta go with him. Um, I I think we're we're kind of diving a little too much into the stature, um, especially because he's not a a runner really. He 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 gets out of the pocket because he wants to throw the ball. Um, if he was like a Kyler Murray, like a, a Baker Mayfield who got out of the pocket and wants to take off. Then you you you'd have I think a, a yeah like a Michael that conversation Vick, makes Seneca more Wallace. sense. But he gets out. He's like a Russell Wilson, where the fact that he's going to get out and he's going to he'll take the yards if they're there. But he mostly wants to get out of the pocket to create so he can get his guy 30, 40 yards downfield. I think it's just a, such a huge risk just knowing that, and it's changing because you're seeing a lot more shorter quarterbacks go on and have success because mm-hmm. I feel like offensive coordinators are smarter than they used to be. They're able to to create certain matchups and create certain things with the legs, you know, going out, rolling out and stuff like that. And I, I just, I think Bryce Young is going to be a good quarterback, but statistically speaking, and, and it's kind of a shot in the dark when you're drafting quarterbacks high, they're either going to be good or they're not. And you have no idea. You'll have some guys that are drafted first overall and everyone's thinking that he's going to be super, super great. And, you know, you just never know. Um, and when you're statistically speaking, Bryce Young is not going to be a good quarterback. Film states otherwise, but film yeah. stated th- different things for different quarterbacks in the past too. So you never know. And, and a big chunk of it is where does he go? If he goes to a place like the Colts where they still have three good pieces on the offensive line, they have a, a, a running back who's a threat and takes a lot of pressure off, 
Or is it going to be Justin Fields going to the Bears where he's just running for his life? You know, if if Justin Fields goes to a, a team like, you know, like the Colts, like that'd does be a his scary development team. different, you know? That'd be interesting, honestly. Um, yeah. Well, so much of it is where you land and, and your maturity and your ability to overcome the issues around you. We're uh, And then kind of just give me your thoughts on Anthony Richardson real quick. Oh, uh, I didn't take a whole lot of, of looks at, at Anthony Richardson. I just well, know. when you get a chance, take a look at him. I mean, he's got a cannon of an arm. That's he's that, really uh, not accurate. Uh, he's athletic. He's really not accurate, but he's got some traits and tools that just leaves you like drooling. Like, wow, this guy could be really good, but he's super young. Uh, didn't have a ton of success statistically in terms of just ball placement. Like, there's a lot. I have him as a kind of a second round pick because the tools are something that if, if they develop, he's going to be a superstar, but he's just so messy and, and kind of just not where he needs to be. You took notes on, on a specific quarterback. Who's the quarterback that you actually wanted to break down in this? Um, yeah. I took a look at, at Will Levy's just because the, the, the spectrum of where analysts think this guy is going to land, I think is hilarious. You got people talking about he's going to be the biggest bust of all time. And then you got guys talking about, Oh, he's the next Josh Allen. And I think that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest spectrum you could lay out. And I think you want to put money on it. He's going to land somewhere in between. <laughs> that's just, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be in between. He's not going to be either one of those outlier points. Um, but I, I I did like what I saw from from him. Um, he's an interest. He's an interesting. He's an interesting interesting prospect. Um, first off, he comes from a football family, an athletic family. His his grandpa was an All American, I think, at Cornell. Um, his his pop played college football. His mom played soccer. I want to say at Yale. So not only are they athletes, but they they are a smart family. Um, and his grandpa was a really big part of, of his life, of his his football career, and actually passed away when he was eight years old. And so I think his mom talks a lot about like how that was really hard for him, but it, it made him dive into his craft. It it propelled him to where he is now. Um, and I thought he had a, a, a pretty decent college career. Um, he wasn't really highly recruited coming out of college. He really didn't take off until – his, his summer of senior year. And that's when he started getting looks and, and because of it went to Penn state um, for this first couple of seasons and was just buried on the depth chart, never really got a shot. Um, but then when as a junior really exploded on the scene, had had 2,800 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That's kind of where, where he, he, he likes to just chuck that ball up and uh, get, get in trouble there. Um, but it also added nine touchdowns on the ground. So 24 through the air, nine on the ground, a true dual threat type of guy. And what you're getting in Will Levy's is a, is a strong arm um, and plus athleticism. Um, he's one of the best athletes in the quarterback position uh, coming out this year. He's just so, so inconsistent. He would have five touchdown games against, you know, some of the best talent in in, in in the country and then go and turn the ball over three times to like an Appalachian state. Um, who, well, maybe we shouldn't drag Appalachian state. They're, they're building a program, but you know, just like the, 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 the schools that you wouldn't imagine. So it's just that inconsistency. 
Um, not a team that's, you know, bringing in five-star recruits, you know, that too. Like, well, it's just like the, the disconnect from just like running, given Tennessee, who was a ranked team last year, a run for their money and throwing five touchdowns and then going back to, you know, a bowling green and throwing three, um, throwing three turnovers. So it's just like those inconsistencies and there was just no pattern to it. You know, big games against big schools, then bad against lesser opponents and then play bad against big opponents and then play really good against lesser opponents. So it, it, it's one of those things where I think you got to have to look at, at the, the surrounding environment that he had. Um, I don't think he'll be on the same level as Justin Herbert at all, but I think the, the situation is very, very comparable because Kentucky horrible offensive line patchwork looked like Swiss cheese. Um, he had no impressive weapons to throw to. And on top of that, he dealt with a lot of injuries to the guys that were the best at those position groups. So I think he was dealing with a lot, um, but you're going to get a very mobile guy, a guy who who can throw it downfield. Um, I think where you're going to be worried about levies is, is his risk of injury. This guy is a reckless with the ball. He wants to run people over. He will run backwards to initiate contact. Um, not something you want to see from your franchise quarterback. Um, so because of that, there's a lot of talk of, uh, you, you're not only going to want to draft him um, as a number two to your number one and use him as a, a Taysom Hill type of talent. Uh, I think this this want to get a new Taysom Hill, I, I think it's nice. It, it's it, it's something to dream about. I don't but think he's like a Taysom Hill, though. I, think I don't. He's I'm like saying, an Andrew I don't think Luck. Yeah. He's like an Andrew Luck who's just a big quarterback who just loves to play football, but it also cut Andrew Luck's career in half. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, and I think it, it's it's viable. I mean, you need you need to take that in consideration. Can you take him away from? And it's different at the NFL level, right, or at the college level, where football players need to be football players. At, at the NFL, your position is much more important. And as a quarterback in the NFL, you are the captain, you are the leader, so you need to protect yourself. You have more accountability, I think, at that level than you do college. So maybe that's something that you you know you can tweak in his wiring. Um, I think another thing he does well is he holds defenses well with his eyes. I do think, though, he is a little late when scanning to second and third reads. I have seen him miss or underthrow a, a lot of, of open guys just because his processing is slow. So something that he needs to tweak. Um, I still see him going in, in the top 10 picks. Um, I, I think... Houston's going to get a quarterback. Indy's in need for a quarterback. And then you're looking at seven and nine, Las Vegas and Carolina. Um, I think viable landing spots for, for, for him. Um, if he falls, though, I think it's going to be because of this. The dude puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Wait, what? Yeah. What? It's so disgusting. Um, it looks like, was, like wasabi paste, and he just drinks it down. Um, I don't know why he does it. I... I watched That's it. That's weird. It's a that that drops clip. him for sure. He is and I undraftable. Was, I was gagging for 30 minutes. That's not a like, locker room guy. <laughs> no. Mayonnaise in your coffee. So uh, <laughs> that, that's what I got on Will Levy's. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Tanner McGee, and then we're going to cut this podcast short, and uh, we'll, we'll be dropping another podcast about tight ends uh, a little bit later in the week. But I want to talk about Tanner McGee, Stanford, uh, quarterback, 6'6", 230 pounds. I, I ended up watching the Cal-Oregon game. Uh, so McGee grew up in Calif uh, Coronado, California, went to Centennial High School, 
which was a powerhouse when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, he was ended up being a four-star recruit, was ranked as a top five pro-style quarterback in the nation, led his team to two CIF titles. Like I said, Centennial is just a powerhouse. Uh, he's known for his maturity and high IQ. He's married at 23 years old. He's been to Brazil on a morning mission. Uh, he majored in economics at Stanford, which, I mean, Stanford's known for, known for its top-tier education pretty much above all else. Uh, those things kind of matter to a guy like Tom Telesco if Tom Telesco's trying to bring in, um, uh, you know, quality character type of guys. Uh, I think it'd be a great fit for the Chargers just for the simple fact of his size mirrors that of Justin Herbert. Maybe not the athleticism. Um, and it really kind of depends, like, are the Chargers – I feel like if you're going to be drafting McGee, you're going to have to take a kind of a mid-round pick on him. And the question becomes, do the Chargers want like a, a capable backup or do they want a veteran as a mentor for Justin Herbert? Uh, and if that's the case, they go with like a, a mentor type of guy. McGee's probably not going to be the guy that they're going to get. They're probably going to go after like a Stetson Bennett or, you know, a sixth, seventh round undrafted type of guy. Um, but in, in terms of just sheer size, like he is very similar to Justin Herbert, um, more of like a Philip Rivers in terms of the ability to, to move around the pocket than, than a Justin Herbert to get outside. But he's got a big arm. He's a big passer, a lot of arm strength, which is kind of why I like him as a backup. Won't have issues throwing outside the numbers, putting velocity and throws over the middle. Uh, arm strength doesn't deviate when he runs either. Uh, he's Processor needs a little bit of a refinement, uh, but he's shown enough confidence to, to warrant using him uh, as one of those design options. Played in a, a pro-style offense with Stanford, even though Stanford was terrible. Um, statistically speaking, not super great. Threw just 13 touchdowns to eight interceptions last year. Oof. Stanford finished 3-9. They just were not a good team. But he can be like sporadically, terrifically accurate, making some outstanding throws, great placement. Other times, his decision-making kind of goes downhill on your question what he's going to be like in the NFL. Um, completed just 61% of his passes. Has trouble navigating pressure, which is probably the biggest knock. Uh, when he's pressure, pressured, his processor speeds up, like, incredibly. And he starts to crumble, runs into those decision-making issues. Um, but I think you ha he has some streets that you kind of look for, like, in a starter, let alone a backup. He's got that size, the arm talent. He's a good kid. Um, I think he just needs to be better developed at a better program. PFF has him estimated at like a first or second round pick. Uh, Pro Football Network has him as a fourth or fifth round. So really his scouting report is kind of all over the place. I think when, kind of in the same mold of Anthony Richardson, like I think when you look at the arm strength, the measurables, how, you know, the 6'6", 230, um, some of the, 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 placement on some of his balls I think a lot of teams are going to look at him and be like this guy could develop into a starter and then I think a lot of people look at him statistically speaking looking at his coaching background looking at the success that Stanford had and they look at him as a three nine quarterback so kind of up and down I just kind of have him right in the middle there I think fourth to fifth round is probably what you're looking for at, at, out of this quarterback um, and there's a lot of other guys that the Chargers could look for. I mean, Max Duggan was a big guy who took TCU as a backup, by the way. He wasn't even their starter. He, he wasn't their starter at the beginning of the year. You got a guy like Stetson Bennett out there. 
uh, Jake Hafner, who was super accurate, but kind of small, kind of similar to Kellen Moore. Um, I just don't know where, which direction the Chargers are going to go at quarterback. It's really going to depend on financially what they have to get in free agency and whether or not they feel like Justin Herbert's good to go. He doesn't need the, the mentorship anymore. Had it for three years, first with Tyrod Taylor, then he had it the last two years um, with our um, – What's his name? Anyways, uh, I, I'm getting off topic here, but um, those are kind of my thoughts on Tanner McGee uh, and the quarterbacks. Um, you want to cut this short and, and move on to another tight ends pod? We'll do a tight end pod. Yeah. Um, more the merrier. All right. Yeah, we'll c- talk to you guys later. Over and out. <laughs>